Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. It has been an exciting week in which we have now rented property inside San Antonio, and we will be conducting our Sunday morning service at that property from here on. And if you are passing through San Antonio or live there, then we will be meeting at 6222 Deza Road in Suite 204. And you will be welcome at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. This is so exciting in that the ranch has now spread out and entered into, I believe, a much larger audience here in San Antonio. And so over the weeks and months, I trust we will see some of you. It's a a lot of people pass through San Antonio. And so I want to share with you the prayer that as we begin this new phase in this ministry, This is the prayer that we are praying, and I invite you to pray it with us because you are part of this. Um, We connect with you every week, and so it is very appropriate that you are praying. Uh, This isn't something that just happens in San Antonio. It is happening wherever the Holy Spirit causes you to hear this message. And so it is in Psalm number 90, Psalm number 90, and at the very end, there's a lot to be said for the whole psalm, but in verse 14 of Psalm number 90, this is the prayer, it's the prayer of Moses, and he prays, O satisfiers early, or uh, I believe a better translation of that would be in the morning, for the whole idea is a night has passed and something new is happening. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your mercy, or as we have seen in past hours together, your loving kindness, that's the word there, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Okay, I I would like to say I'll speak about all of that and reference it, but I want to concentrate on a few words. But just to give it the background, 
I, I said this is the prayer of Moses. It's one of the Psalms that was not written by David. Moses wrote this, and he wrote it, um, if you want to sort of place in history, approximately uh, at the time that he preached Deuteronomy. You do know the book of Deuteronomy is the series of sermons that Moses preached to the Israelites as they stood on the edge of entering into the promised land, Canaan. You remember that? Okay, maybe not. But um, the quickie is that the Israelites came to Canaan, their promised land that God had given to them, and they sent in the 12 spies. The 10 came back and said, it's hopeless. Everyone believed the 10, and for that they wandered in the wilderness, in the deserts, and around Arabia um, for 40 years until that generation had passed away who had rebelled and refused to believe the promise of God. And their children now are standing at the edge of the promised land. Okay, do you get it? These are not the people that came out of Egypt. It's the next generation. And that next generation are again facing this rest in God, which is what the Canaan land was called by God. He called it his rest. And Moses preaches to them Deuteronomy, which goes over their whole 40 years and showing the ways of God with them. But about that time, he prays this prayer that we call Psalm 90, and he prays it for the children as if to say, don't let them miss it. Their fathers missed the rest of God. That they, they missed that total abandonment into his arms and through fear they ran away from the opportunity. Now he prays for them this prayer and I, I want to look at it. It's fascinating. And he prays, it begins there, Oh, satisfy us in the morning. And as I said, in the morning, it is the hope that a new day that the wilderness that is behind them has been filled with trouble in many respects. It's like the night is now passing and the dawn of a new day in which they will see and participate in all the promises, covenant promises of God. And Moses prayed, don't let them miss it. Rather, he said, satisfy them. Satisfy them in this new morning with your loving kindness. That word satisfy, uh, actually, I mean, it's a good word. Uh, I'm not challenging the word, but uh, maybe we don't understand altogether satisfy. And especially this, the way it's used here, in the Hebrew language, it is used of food. Uh, It crops up all through the Old Testament, but it's used of food. And it would be when you might say at a Thanksgiving dinner, I'm satisfied. It means I couldn't eat another thing. It's done. I'm satisfied. In fact, it could. In all of the dictionaries, it says it could be translated as glutted. 
I mean, that suggests you've eaten two or three portions beyond your maximum. Satisfied, glutted, you have assimilated at the feast. That's it. But it's interesting, it is used concerning loving kindness. So it says that, that it's not something you believe in, about. It's not something outside of you. You have glutted your spirit. You have feasted your inner core person on this covenant love of God. That, that, that's another thought, isn't it? You, you have filled yourself. You have eaten of God. Until now you are you're full and all you can say is thank you Lord as that food of God himself begins to become the muscles and sinews and organs of your true person. Yeah. Now he parallels that um, it, down in... Um, Further down in the verse 17, he parallels that with let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. So, oh, satisfy us with your loving kindness. And he talks about that. Then he says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And so as we are glutted in the love of God, his covenant love, then another way of looking at that diamond, another facet of that truth, is let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Now, I have spoken in the last few days about the beauty of God. Um, but in talking about it, I have realized that those I'm talking to, it's a new idea. And so I want to emphasize that from this text, that the loving kindness of God, his covenant doings and beings in our midst is to be equated with the beauty of the Lord, the beauty. And, and let me say this, we, we are not merely describing God by the word beauty as we might look at a picture and say that is a beautiful picture, or we might look at a scene, a sunset, a waterfall, whatever, and say that is a beautiful scene. No, you can't, you can't just say God is beautiful in that sense, as if here is beauty, and now when we look at God, we say, yeah, he, he's beautiful, he's like that. No, rather what is being said here, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is beauty. Do you, do you understand me? He is it. He is beauty. He is the definition of this word. And so when we use it, um, we are actually hinting that when I look at that picture, when I, when I look at that scene... There is something of the glory of God that is coming to me through that scene. God himself is beauty. Oh, let that sink in. God himself is beauty. It means there's no possibility of ugly in him. Can you hear that? 
that there's no possibility of that which would cause us to be afraid and terrified and to shrink back. He is beauty. He's the definition of beauty. He is the one who gives beauty to that which we call beautiful. But okay, what is beauty? And that, that's the great question. What is beauty? I, in, in today's world, see, again, we've lost the meaning of words. We've cheapened words. So when I say the word beauty, and I've asked people, what do you mean? But they say, well, uh, pretty, uh, gorgeous. And they start talking about skin tones and hair colors or going to the gym for muscular beauty. And, oh, come on, come on, come on. No, we, we have, you need another word for that. I don't know what it is, but you can't use this word because this word begins, if I'm going to tell you what it means, it begins with something like awe. You know what I mean? It, it is that holy wow that comes out of my spirit. It is the fullest meaning of the word wonder, or it produces speechless. Sometimes it feels like mindless. And I'm talking here, um, ultimately, of course, about the beauty of God. But there are things that have happened in our life, persons that have come into our life, or things that we have seen or heard, and you, you touch it. It's as if, well, yeah, it's, it's like touching some sort of invisible electric wire. And in that moment, and it can indeed be a moment, you touch beauty. And, and in that moment, you, you are stunned. You, you are in awe. In that moment, wonder. And you never forget it. You never forget it. Or, or all the parts of it, it sometimes takes a lifetime to work it out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, the other day I used the illustration uh, of a mother's face as she gazes upon her newborn child. Have you ever seen that? I mean, seen it. It's, it's that look of utter abandoned love to the child. And the child looking back into the face of the mother. And, and in that moment, you can't really forget that. You, you've seen just a flash of the love of God toward us. I hope, to, to, to stand before some of the events that happen within our creation. Um, and, and it takes your breath away would be another expression we might use. It is the wonder, the speechless. And so when it speaks of God, these are the words that are used because there comes a point where I can't really, I can't say, I can't say. So it says, you, you have a joy unspeakable. Okay, don't run over that word. Recognize that's what I'm talking about. There's a joy that you can't really explain. You can't put it in a neat little file and say, well, close the drawer, we got that settled. 
No, there's something that you meet in the presence of God that you you can't say. You you can't give an easy testimony. And when you do, when you try to explain, it dribbles over your mouth and bounces on the floor. And you know you totally missed it. You, you couldn't say it. Or what about the peace of God that passes human comprehension? There you've got it, you say. I, there's something here that my my mind cannot fathom. There's something here that I cannot just file away under P and say, I've got it. No, I come back again and again and again and stand in awe before who God is, you see. Comes to us through his works. When, when we see God at work in our life, the lives of others, we, we sometimes, you see, you touch it, you see it. And and I, I, I've got no words. I just stand in awe. I stand with wonder. Psalm 66 verse 3 says, Say to God, how awesome are your works and the greatness of your power. He said, awesome in your... Have you ever gotten beyond the fact that something's just there? I mean, have you ever gotten beyond the fact that a flower grows in your garden and birds sing and you digest your food? Uh, are you such a blah blob that you just look at it and say so? Have you never recognized the incredible that you are looking at? And experiencing in the workings of your own body. Have you never wondered at how you came to know Jesus? Wonder, awe, how awesome is our God. Psalm 86 says, There's no one like you among the gods, O Lord. And he looks upon all the pagan deities and he says they, they can't even look at you. you. You're infinitely above them. Your beauty outshines them all. There's no other work like yours, he said. I mean, really, I, I know we've talked about this, but I never get over it myself. When you look at the Holy Trinity... And you recognize the perfection that you get to the perfection of love. When, when we say God is love and go bumbling on without even a blink of an eye, stop. God is love. And then I see the who, who could ever have begun to think of uh, Trinity that the Father loves the Son. So we have love and the one who receives that love. And you see the Son loving the Father and we see the Holy Spirit who essentially is the love. Someone in ancient days said when the Father kisses the Son, the Holy Spirit is the kiss. He is the ecstasy of love he is the love revealed he is love celebration all in one God and I stand amazed an illustration I and any illustration 
any illustration that you have of the Holy Trinity is hardly worth the breath we use to say it. It's beyond our comprehension when you try to pin it down. But, okay, having said that, it's something like, have you ever seen the ice dancers at that time of the year when they had their competitions? You you have, I mean, all of those skaters are amazing, but when you get two of them together and, and they are dancing, they're dancing on ice, and, and, and you, you see the whole of the ice rink is filled with music, and these two people are interpreting the music, but they're doing it in, in such proximity that that they're, they're like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and they're in and out of each other and always in perfect harmony and each one is making the other one look good and together they are in perfect harmony with the music and so in a sense they are the music and the music is them as they spin around the ice and now it's this one is being shown off, glorified, and then it's this one, and then they back off, and it's the music. And okay, I've got a bit carried away there, but that is a puny illustration of the wonder of the Holy Trinity, one God, uh, Father and Son, who uh, and they move in and out of each other's space without ever pushing the other out of the way. And the Holy Spirit is the music of the Trinity. Huh. It's amazing. That's the God we worship. God is love. And it takes the three to love. But you see, and this, when we say the beauty, he, he didn't just say beauty and hung it in vacuum. He said the beauty of the Lord be upon us, meaning that we're included. And this is really the, well, no, everything I've just said is the awe and the wonder. When I think of God like that, especially when I compare with ideas of God that are outside of the God revealed in Jesus. Um, gods of cruelty, gods of snarling judgment, gods who can't stand the sight of you, gods who ever smite you and damn you. But the God revealed in Jesus, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not distant, is not unreachable. We, we do not stand like specks in creation and look at God distant, remote, and just say, wow. No, the, the, maybe the very essence of, of when we talk about his beauty is that that beauty is revealed to us. And, and when I say revealed to us, not out here somewhere, but revealed in us, around us, or well, it's saying that we're in the middle of this. We're part of the play. We're on the ice with the dancers, you see. 
The beauty of God, the beauty of God is not just what he is in himself. It is that he has chosen to create you in order that you join in with this love, this love that is ultimate beauty. It's upon us. He refuses to be God without us. Now, right from the very beginning, the only time it ever speaks of God as just being God alone is in the first word of the Bible and it rapidly gets beyond that right in the beginning God so here we have Father Son and Holy Spirit period but within the next breaths of reading he is creating not only the cosmos but specifically this planet and placing in this planet our parents. And he is making it plain that from here on, through all the unfolding histories of man, there'll never be a time when God is remote, shut off to himself, doing his own thing. He has determined, he, part of the radiance of his beauty is that he willed to create you and I to share that beauty with us and through us and in us to fill the earth with his beauty. That's what it's saying. Has it never shocked you as you read through the scripture when God gives us his calling card, you know, his business card, who is he? And he leaves his card and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, hold it God I was talking about God and you've linked your name in fact you've sort of made your name as absolutely one with Abraham and he's hardly a little cherub you know and, and Isaac well Jacob good grief would you buy a used car from Jacob and yet God joins his name to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you understand? And then he becomes the God of Israel, another bunch of people that are very questionable. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He, he, he will not just be God. The, the, the classic statement that runs through especially the prophets of the Old Testament is I will be your God and you shall be my people come on get it he is saying I'm not just God you can lay hold of me and say you're my God you and I are joined in this thing together and he says, that's it, and you are my people. God refuses to be anything but together with us. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word became flesh. Well, what is that Word? The Word is that God so loves us that he ultimately unites with us in Jesus the Lord. And in Jesus, the full beauty of God's love finally comes through. The clouds are gone. We're not listening to prophets who tell us about God. God comes from God. 
and takes our humanness and lives inside his creation and reveals who God really is. The most amazing picture in John chapter 13 where where it says that the words that we use every week in, in our Holy Communion service, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And the, the end, it would mean the goal, the finish line, the ultimate point. And it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And then it says that taking a towel, he knelt in front of them and washed their feet. That was the lowest, the most demeaning task of all the servants in a household. It was reserved for the youngest or the newest. Uh, never would a servant of any importance do that. He, the, 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 this particular kind of servant would kneel at the door as you enter and slip off your sandals and wash your feet with perfumed water. Jesus washed their feet. Jesus, God from God, knelt before the creatures he had created and washed their feet, giving to them extreme honor and significance and meaning. Oh, do you know what love means? Jesus washes your feet. Jesus says, I am here to serve you with love. That's the beauty of God's love. The beauty of God's love is not only who he is in himself, but that he has willed and carried into our history the sharing of that beauty with us. The beauty, the beauty of the Lord our God be upon you upon you not stargazing the star is upon you and around you and in you what is beauty yeah i feel like just sitting with my mouth open right now from what i've just said but i i pursue it what is beauty we call a thing beauty or beautiful because of its completeness I mean, super completeness. It is whole. Um, you couldn't add anything to it. If you did, it would be ugly. It, it's, it's that almost a fragile. Don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's beautiful. You know, don't, don't, don't try and add anything to the Mona Lisa, you see. Don't, don't try to add another cloud or another ray of light to that sunset. As it stands, it's, there's a completeness, you see, a, a beauty to that. You, and, and don't subtract anything. Don't take anything away from it because, again, you would end up with ugly. It is, it's that one point. And you say, beauty. It's complete. Huh. Creation. When God created, do you remember? When, when you see there again, you said nothing to add. Uh, and God's creation is so beautiful. Mankind is brought into 
being on the sixth day afternoon when everything was complete and now that the peak of creation the one for whom it was all made made in the image and the likeness of God and remember it tolls like a bell through creation God saw what he had made and he said it is good it is good it is good and when he had completed all his works it says he rested he rested which doesn't mean he gave a great sigh and said I'm exhausted no 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 rested there means like an artist who lays down his brush and says I rest that is I cannot add another brush stroke it is done it is finished it cannot be any better it's complete Uh, beauty God's works are beautiful right down to the minutiae beautiful nothing ugly it's good and he rested whole when we look at it beauty and you see Jesus who is the word we hear in Genesis 1 now has come into his creation and assumes to himself the creaturehood of his own creation in order to carry us out of the death that we've gotten ourselves into and bring us into the beauty of the Father, include us into himself to participate in his beauty and to celebrate beauty with the Holy Spirit. He, he came into our death and destroyed death and raised us out from death. And in the midst of that, he uses the word we're sort of kicking around here. He said, it is finished. And that word finished, it comes from the same family as when it says in John 13, he loved them to the end. It's done. It's finished. We crossed the finish line. We broke the tape. It is done. We've come to our goal. And what is that goal? What is that goal? Oh, hear me, because I know you've been taught that it just means that you've been forgiven by a God who otherwise would be royally pissed off at you. No, no, no. The, The purpose of God from the very beginning has now been fulfilled and done. And what is that? To bring us humans into union to bring us from where the original failure left us, which is to be separated. Now he has brought us together to no separation, where we now, because we're joined with Jesus, he's carried us into the Father through the Holy Spirit. And we are one we rest in his rest he said it's done i did it it's finished and we say amen it's done we have been brought out of sin out of darkness out of death out of the clutches of satan and we now are seated in the heavenly dimension it's done it's finished i can't do anything don't you dare put a brush of religion on that don't you dare That makes it ugly. No, 
And don't try and take away from what he did because it doesn't make sense. Stand back and just let the beauty of this wash over you, the finishedness of it, its completion. He did it. He did it for you as your representative. And he has achieved it and carried you to the Father. It's done. My only response can be to rest in his rest. He, sa- he said he rests. He can't do another thing than I say, amen, I rest in your rest. You did it. He said that, that this is what he believes, that this, this is his faith, that it's accomplished, it's done. He won't come again to try and patch it up or to sort of um, to do some... You know, those things you read on the cereal boxes, you know, vitamin C added. Well, there's nothing to add to this. He's not coming back to make it a bit better. It is done. It's finished. You cannot add to it. You cannot subtract. It's done. When Jesus rose out of death, which meant death's authority is done, finished, destroyed, can't add to that except say thank you he has introduced a new is do you know what I mean it is if it's done and finished then it is it is and that's the new reality that came out of the tomb in Jesus a new is where sin has no more authority, where Satan cannot accuse you and condemn you and demean you and diminish you and despise you. It's done. It's finished. God himself has declared you righteous. God himself has declared you as his child, given you a place to sit by sheer grace, by grace upon grace upon grace that you are seated, joined into Jesus, sharing with Jesus all that he's done. It's a new reality. Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the reality. Huh. If that doesn't cause you to sort of grope for words, stand back, part of the awe, of who he is and he is in us, part of that awe is the completeness of who he is and the work he's done. But you see, there's something more. Beauty is more than that. It's all of that. All of that. But beauty, there's a harmony. There's nothing that doesn't fit. You listen to some music and every note fits with every note. And there's, you get that again, this sense of beauty, harmony. You, you, you see a painting and, and there's not great blotches of color that are out of sync. Everything completes everything. There's harmony it's part of beauty. That's what, what symphony means. It's, 
And that always produces joy. Joy. Now, I've talked about joy quite a bit. So let's talk about it a bit more as, as in terms of, of beauty. You see, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? And, and of course, we, we miss a great deal because of our misunderstanding of the word eternal. Uh, we think it's something that happens after death, you know, sort of after time is over, we hit this other thing called eternity. Whereas um, the actual word in the Greek, aeon, age upon age upon age, so that wherever I am, whatever age I'm in, whatever age of my life, whatever age of my being, um, whatever age of history, whatever age of the universe, whatever unfolding ages all the way to where I lose visibility. Um, in every age, this life is. And th this life is the life of God. And the life of God is just what I've been talking about. The love the Father has to the Son and the Son to the Father in the Holy Spirit. That's life. You see, when, when you are in that love when you know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you and Christ is in his father and you are wrapped up in this divine love there's joy the Bible says that, that that's, that's joy um, when, when John wrote his letter let me read it to you in um, the first epistle of John and in the first chapter, he says this, at verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, that he says, God, who is life, became flesh, Jesus. And he is that word, that exegesis, that exposition, that explanation of life and he not only explains it he is that life he is it he says the life was manifested we've seen we bear witness we declare to you that eternal life so he says i'm telling you the eternal life that we saw jesus is that eternal life he was with the father was manifest to us that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy might be full. Please, please hear me. We, we live in a world that is controlled by the idea of happiness and you've heard me talk about this before, happiness exists in happenings, which makes it, happiness is a very fragile thing, very fragile. You carry it like that glass jar for Aunt Jane. I mean, don't drop it. And, and you're, you're trembling because you know it's so fragile. If you drop it, it's gone. 
and happiness is like that. So happiness itself can be full of fear. I, I can say that I'm happy and terrified that I'm going to lose it any minute because, you see, it, it's based upon events and happenings and people. And they've all, for, for a moment, they all get aligned and they're aligned with me, so I'm happy. But let one of them step out of line. Let, let, if she says something, if, if the event changes, then happiness is smashed like a fragile glass. It's very fragile. Do, do you get that? And everything that all the commercials that you hear, they're, they're all aimed at making you happy. It's ridiculous, of course. But the Bible never mentions happiness. I mean, if you go back to the original language, some of our modern versions mention happiness, but it's not in the original language. It's this word joy. And what's joy? Joy has nothing to do with happiness. Joy is not giggling like teenagers. No, joy is the joy of being. Joy is knowing that I have been wrapped into Jesus. And the Holy Spirit in me is the presence of the very now person of Jesus. And Jesus is loved by the Father. And he shares the Father's love. And the Father loves me as he loves Jesus. And I am caught up with Jesus to love the Father. I am caught in that love. And I'm caught into the celebration, even the ecstasy of the Holy Spirit eternal life and it's also in there that's joy joy is the the being of knowing i'm one with jesus and jesus is one with the father <laughs> union with no separation to look straight up into father's face through jesus and know that there's no dark side to god I've seen him in the face of Jesus. That's it. You're not going to suddenly discover that behind it all there's a snarling monster. No. I've come to rest through the completeness of his work. And in that rest know that I'm united with him. And that is joy that transcends all the happenings. And I can be happy. Of course I can. But I'm not terrified about dropping the vase because joy is constant. For that's where I live, dwelling in God and God in me. Okay. <laughs> beauty. Beauty, there's a, a radiance about beauty, a glory, to use a Bible word. It's light, or you could even say enlightenment, because... In this beauty of God, everything ultimately falls into place. We find the meaning of life. We find the wisdom of the moment. Uh, it's another word, which is, again is used with eternal life. It's knowing. And, and that word knowing is not knowing about. It is intimately, personally knowing. Nor is it knowing everything. It's a unique word. It, it means the experience of coming to know someone. 
And therefore you know them by what they say, what they do, how you interact and know them. And, and so, as everything I've said, this awe at the wonder of God's love, the, the beauty that he refuses to keep that to himself, but shares himself with us and shares himself to the ultimate that he comes into us through the Holy Spirit and, and we dwell in him and he dwells in us. With that worked out in life, uh, there, there's an enlightenment. There's, I understand. I see. I see through the events of life to the God who's in the midst of it. His beauty is upon us. Upon us. It's, it's, it's a word used in the New Testament to describe being engulfed, embraced. And, and in that no separation, where I am fully me, even as he is fully him. Psalm 27 verse 4. It's another verse we might even talk about one day. Where it says that uh, David will to behold the beauty of the Lord. But the, the Hebrew language there, which is a bit awkward if we put it into English, I guess that's why they didn't. But the Hebrew there is, behold in the beauty of the Lord. Behold in it. That is, I'm not looking at him afar off. I'm inside. He's inside me. I'm in the beauty of God, God himself. And from within his beauty, we behold his beauty. We participate in the wonder and the awe, the joy and the radiance. It sounds like you should go off to a mountain cave, doesn't it? Beholding the beauty of God. Sounds very up there somewhere. And I think that's why he puts in those last words. Establish the work of our hands. That is, you are satiated, you're glutted with loving kindness. The beauty of the Lord is upon you. And by that time, we're in the dizzy heights of a human being in real presence, real union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the final parallel line is, establish the work of our hands. Establish. It means, um, well, if you took a fence post and put it in concrete, that's the idea of establish. It means make firm, set, fixed. That is, don't, don't go through life building castles made of paper. Don't, don't build sandcastles that will be washed away with the next tide. He says, have a life that is set established, impactful. The beauty of God upon you will do that. But he makes it specific, establish the work of our hands. Now this to me, I'm, I'm so glad I've got a few minutes here because this is so important. What's the work of our hands? No, you missed it. It's not going into full-time ministry. It's not becoming a pastor. No, you missed it. It's not operating all the gifts of the Spirit in one morning. No, no. The work of our hands 
is the phrase used throughout the scripture to describe what we might call the daily grind. It's the, the sentence that means your labor. It means when you go to your place of work. It means the running of the home on a daily basis. It means sitting in a desk at school. Work of our hands belongs to the office. It belongs to the factory. It belongs to the schoolroom. It belongs to the kitchen refrigerator. Going to the shopping mall. The word. I'm serious, I'm going to show you in a moment. It means our deeds, what we do. It means our behavior as we do the deeds. It means the business that makes up our life. It's it's the workmanship that we produce when we go to work. Okay? Yeah, I know this this is... See... We, we've got a phrase that is used so often by Christians. We call something secular as opposed to spiritual. Well, would you flush that down the toilet? There's no secular in God. There's absolutely no difference. The work of our hands, whether it is the work of my hands in the study of Scripture in order to talk to you, or you going to be an accountant or work on the factory floor making Ford or Chevrolet cars, whether you're a dentist or an attorney or one who serves in an ice cream store or whether you sell toys to little children, whatever, it's the word that covers it all. Everything that you do as a human being within creation. The work of your hands. All of it. All of it is contained in the beauty of the Lord being upon us and our being glutted with loving kindness. Now, think on that one. You see, the work of our hands, it's, let me give you just a few This is 100% out of the Old Testament. This is it. The first time this is mentioned in Genesis 5.29, it speaks of the work of our hands, and it speaks of the coming deliverer who would have great effect of how we acted with the work of our hands. And he's speaking of agriculture. He is saying that the coming, well, of course he didn't know, But he was talking about Jesus, and he says that one will bring comfort to all of our growing and producing food, the whole gamut of agriculture. And in Genesis 40, this phrase is used to describe a baker and his loaves that he baked. So... It means the beauty of God is upon you when you're making cookies and apple pies. Do you get this? It's used also in Scripture to describe someone who makes perfume. Wow. I know some churches that think perfumes of the devil. Well, bless your heart. 
The beauty of the Lord is upon the perfumer. The wisdom of God tells him how to mix the smells. It's used to describe skilled craftsmen. And that means, that again, there's many skilled craftsmen. I mentioned accountant, yeah. I don't have a clue. I can only add figures, numbers, and a bit. But when we get into the world of mathematics, I don't get it. I don't get computers come to that. And I, and I see persons, John, who, who's doing the tech on what I'm saying right now. I mean, I stand with a certain awe. Um, it's beyond me. He's a skilled craftsman. Right? You, you, you're putting... I, my son-in-law the other night put together a desk. I'd still be trying to do it. He put that thing together and we stood... The beauty of the Lord was... Do you, do you understand? That we, we can do things that others can't do. Some of you can knit and sew. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Others, you argue a case in a courtroom. You're a skilled craftsman. This, what is you? It's the work of your hands. That's what the old Bible, Bible calls it. The work of your hands. That's what we're talking about. Talks about a weaver, someone who weaves cloths and then makes clothes out of it. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us as we mentioned of jewelers. There again, I know churches that think jewelry is of the devil. Well, bless your heart. I mean that. May God bless your heart. Because he says that he gives this, his beauty shrouds the jeweler to do his task. The beauty of the Lord is upon us as we walk out into our world. See, we don't go to work merely to earn money and step on those we work with to grab their job from them. We are in the world, but we're not of it. Our work is a wonderful way. It's the arena in which we put on display the beauty of God. And the completeness of his salvation. You see, we don't go to work armed with atomic bombs uh, of uh, tracts and scriptures that we're going to throw at people. No, we go to be the beauty of God in all that we do, recognizing his wisdom, his understanding, his power, our, our, the way we talk to those we work with. You see, the ugly... Oh, the ugly, the gossip, the complaining, the whining, the sighing. Thank God it's Friday. I hate my work, you know. I just come here to earn my money. Mm -mm -mm. We go to, what an opportunity. I, I've, I've got this job. And it's a place in which, in all my relationships and in what I do, the beauty of the Lord will be seen and impact. And would you believe it? They're paying me for it. Huh. Titus 2.10, which I'd love to spend a lot longer on, but it says, it's talking to um, slaves, actually. And this is what actually broke the power of slavery in the Roman Empire. 
He says, you, you believe, believing slaves, he says, <laughs> you, you, you don't rob your employer's time by, you know, just blurping out the doctrine of salvation. And Rather, he says, you will, and this is the word there in Titus 2.10, you adorn the teaching. That is, and another word would be, you beautify the teaching. How? By the way you live. You live love. So you don't steal time. You don't steal anything from your employer. You're not a gossip. You're not greedy. You're not grabbing. You adorn. You live this love in all its various aspects. You don't just scream doctrine at people. You live it. Then they ask you and you have a chance. You see what I mean. I, I would say it's the ugliness. Terrible, terrible ugliness of doctrine. In the lips of people who do not live what they're talking about. I honestly believe that the percentage of people that have genuinely rejected God in Jesus Christ might be one or two percent. The vast majority of persons who would call themselves not Christians and many times be antagonistic to Christian, they have rejected the church. They've rejected Christians who do not beautify what their mouths blab. People who talk doctrine, argue over doctrine, excommunicate over doctrine, shun you because of doctrine. Oh, teaching was meant to be beautified, radiant, given luster by living love. Then I have lived the truth I have lived the sum of all doctrine and in the first place I'll talk about the doctrine very differently but also I've made people hungry for the doctrine you get what I mean I trust so well what can I say this was Moses prayer and why does he pray because this is the will and intention of the father to give us this you never pray for something that the father doesn't already will and so this what i've just said for the last hour this is the will of god he wants this in your life and i want it so i pray that in itself is beauty that the helpless joins and unites with the fullness of supply we're helpless to achieve, so we ask for what the Father says He wants to give. And we pray with hope and expectancy. Walk out of our door inside the ears, done, finished, in the joy to live this incredible life. Let it be so. Now I bless you. I bless you this night with the blessing of God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, you may come to know his beauty, dwell in his joy,
Walk in his radiance. That your life may impact the world where you find yourself. So I bless you. That is the way it is. Amen.